Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Robert Kavstick, a senior economist from the BMO Economics Team. This week's episode is titled House of Cards. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Rob, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's been four months, almost exactly, since we had you on. And housing was the topic du jour then, and and that is exactly why I've brought you back on today. So welcome back, and, and I'm, I'm hoping you can enlighten us as to uh, what exactly is going on in the housing market. I will try. Thanks for having me back, Ben. I have, I have faith you can do it. So <laughs> since March, prices, I think, Almost to the day that we recorded, pretty much peaked at that time. So depending on where in the country you were, at, at February or March, if you scroll through the uh, the cities on the the uh, MLS home price index, that that appears to be the peak for for most places. Uh, and since then, it's been a, a one way trip lower, as we clearly warned. And rates have ramped up even faster than we thought at the time. And I think that, that that's clearly playing an important role and, and will continue to do so. Uh, so can you give us a, uh, a lay of the land here? Where are we in, in the decline? Are we just the first innings here? Or are we nearing the end? How bad can things get? Uh, I guess we can, we can kind of discuss, expand on that a little bit later. But why, why don't we start with just where, where we are for the market generally at the moment? Yeah, so I would say it's first innings or even like the warm-up round, right? Because um, so the market peaked in March and it, it peaked like literally after the Bank of Canada first tapped mortgage rates, first 25 basis point move, the market went cold instantly. And that, I mean, that kind of tells you what was going on in the market, right? There was just too much speculation, too much expectations of price gains and just a simple, simple tap by the Bank of Canada stopped everything. So like as of June, we were down, I mean, on the, on the headline HPI, maybe like three to 5%. The reality is that by June, some of the markets were already down probably 10, 15% across parts of Ontario and some other parts of Canada. And momentum is, is through the middle of the year was clearly just getting weaker. And, 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 and the key here is that this is all even before the Bank of Canada raised rates 100 beeps. And uh, we have another 100 basis points or so priced in through the rest of this year. So we also know that monetary policy acts with a lag, call it 6, 8, 12 months in terms of the impact on something like housing and the overall economy. So you got to think that we're looking at probably right through 2023 in terms of how how long this weakness in housing gets drawn out. Well, that's not particularly optimistic. Um, <laughs> so er, early innings for the uh, decline in prices here, and, and as you mentioned, uh, it really it really does depend on where you are. I I, I was scrolling through the the cities uh, this morning just to get a better idea of 
of how much we've fallen from from that February March peak. And uh, some cities were down. It is ten to fifteen percent already in in three or four months, which is really something to to fall at that pace. But I mean, as we've mentioned in the past, a, a lot of the Demand was driven by the pandemic and, and the drive for more space and, and work from home and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the the bid to those cities well outside of Toronto and other major city centers just, just wasn't sustainable. And then the types of price increases you were getting were not sustainable. And now you're, you're getting a, a reversal of that for pretty quick. And I guess the hope is that they don't kind of spiral downward. Uh, and, and and create some kind of more more nefarious cycle here, but uh, uh, it's clear that there's still a notable downside left to go. One of our one of our competitors came out this week and said peak to trough decline in, in prices. Fourteen uh, percent was was the number they used, and and oddly precise, fourteen percent. Uh, why not fifteen? Why not ten? But fourteen. Um, how far do you think down prices go peak to trough? And, and I know it really depends on the city and the national number really is just kind of an average of, of a lot of uh, different different things. But uh, how far down do you think we go? Yeah, well, that's that's the key, right? Um, the, the national number masks a lot of change below the surface. So I think technically we have a 20% peak to trough decline nationally. So that would take us back to about very early 2021 levels. Which kind of makes sense because, I mean, very early in 2021 was actually when you and I both came out publicly and said, we're, we have a problem developing here. And if policymakers don't act, we're going we're gonna to see a lot of froth built up in the market and there's going to be consequences on the back end of it, right? And now, unfortunately, even though we were right, unfortunate that it actually did play out that way and now we have to deal with the consequences. So repricing the market back to early 2021 kind of makes sense because at that point, uh, we could still mostly justify what was going on. Uh, and that's a national level. So like to your point here, I would say a national decline of 20% would actually be really big uh, considering that you do have some markets like Atlanta, Canada, like a place like Calgary, where we might not see more than maybe a 5% decline. Uh, the other side of that is that you're going to have areas like Southwestern Ontario. So exurbs of Toronto, like anything one to two hours out that are already realistically down 15 or 20 percent and probably more coming so i mean peak to trough some of those markets i mean you you could easily be down 30 by the time this is done in some areas and then there are a few of the other bigger cities like the vancouver's and the montreal's that are kind of just scattered somewhere in the middle of those extremes i think just based on where they are fundamentally okay uh so we are i mean Still notable price declines coming for for most of the country, and and really, the focus will be where where the increases were largest. But one thing that is different from last time we spoke is is, is rates have increased significantly faster, uh, and are still expected to move higher, as as you mentioned. Is that going to be a problem for current homeowners? I mean, we we know uh, very very simply that higher rates uh, dampen the ability of, of of buyers to to put in aggressive bids because you just can't afford as much given a, a higher mortgage rate. But are higher rates going to be an issue for people already in their houses? Uh, the the Maybe you can go through the structure of the mortgage market a little bit because uh, I, I know I just just went through a, a tour of Europe and and uh, that was that was a, a question most people didn't didn't really know much about uh, the, the Canadian market so uh, maybe, maybe a very brief backdrop for the mortgage market generally and and 
and how rate hikes or how much rate hikes are going to impact uh, current mortgage holders? Sure. So I guess the first thing on, on rates here is on the incremental new buyer, just since we were talking about this peak to trough decline, right? Um, the reason we have 20% peak to trough in our forecast is it's just the simple arithmetic of repricing a market from 1.5% mortgage rates to 4.5% cuts about 25% off the price of the value, all else equal, to hold a, hold affordability constant. So there's that backdrop from a incremental new buyer, which is where we're probably going to see the biggest hit. And we're already seeing it on the ground as, as prices come down because we just simply can't afford what we did at 1.5% up now in the 4% range. So there's that. But to your question specifically for those already in the market, a lot really depends on, on on when you bought. So if you bought like before the last 12 months or so, you're probably still in positive equity. So you, it's not a major issue from that perspective. There are a lot of investors that piled in through 2021 and early 2022 that were cash flow negative, just, just given how the market was priced uh, and were banking on price increases those guys are going to have a pretty significant shock because now the expectations of prices have changed month to month. The cash flow dynamics don't make sense anymore. So you're probably going to see some selling and some, some liquidating of some investment property over the next year or two, I would suspect. But from like a more macro perspective at the household level, there are a couple of things going on. One is that we, we actually saw a very big shift into variable rate mortgages through the pandemic, just simply because five-year fixed rates, which are historically the more popular option in Canada, backed up first. And a lot of the market switched into variable. Also, it was a little bit easier to pass the stress test uh, at variable rates in the latter stages of the pandemic. So there is some payment shock coming there. Just The mortgage market in Canada is a little bit unique in that you take a variable rate mortgage, you actually, for the most part, and it varies bank to bank, it varies contract by contract, but you have a fixed payment and what actually happens below the surface is the amortization gets extended as interest rates rise. Payment doesn't necessarily rise right away. But there is a point where if you reach a point where monthly payments are no longer actually covering the interest and paying down principal, then you will actually see a trigger payment. And again, it varies mortgage by mortgage. But I would say that if the Bank of Canada does raise rates 75 beeps in September, there will be a number of, of home buyers who took out mortgages at 1.5% that are going to start hitting those trigger rates. And the impact's going to vary, obviously, depending on, on your contract, but we could be looking at at least a couple hundred bucks a month in terms of increases there. And the other, the other aspect of this is if you go back five years ago, when five-year fixed rate mortgages were the most popular option, they were being taken out at around two and a half to three and a half percent or so. And so as those start to start to come due in the latter half of this year and into 2023, we're going to be coming into a rate environment that is more like four and a half percent or so to just, you know, plus or minus 50 beeps, depending on, on where we are uh, and what, what exact mortgage you're looking at. But still, that's a good, you know, one or, or, or 200 basis point shock coming into a new mortgage. And again, that's probably at least a couple hundred bucks a month in terms of payment increases. So that's not enough to break the market. It's not going to create defaults because we've been stress tested, but it, it will almost certainly be a drag on, on consumer spending and, and confidence more broadly. One thing I, I, I think we should highlight is, uh, especially on the investment side, but I mean, really generally in, in the big cities, given given where home prices are, is, is everyone's had to put 20% down. And so the prices have to fall pretty substantially for buyers to be underwater. So 
it really is very much the, the most recent buyers that would be under pressure. But even then, they may not end up underwater at all unless they're they're really in, in some of those harder hit cities. Uh, and and then that 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 goes for investors and then just kind of regular home buyers as well. Um, so that that's definitely something to keep in mind. And the other aspect of it is uh, for for folks, especially in, in I think maybe in the big cities, especially, but you can also probably include investors. Uh, the there there's still a, a big cash pile in in households bank accounts. Uh, upwards of 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 nine percent of GDP as of as of the end of the first quarter. We'll see what what Q two shows us uh, in, in a little while, uh, in, a, in a month. But that probably resides with kind of higher income folks, and and those are the ones that would be taking out kind of the bigger mortgages, buying the bigger houses, uh, making many of those those investments. So uh, that that might just be an area where they're. While there will be stress from higher rates, there there's probably some cushion there uh, to absorb the higher costs from from higher rates. But uh, I think it's un, un, undoubtedly uh, the, the investment side in particular probably adds to some of the downward pressure on prices as, as people just don't see real estate maybe as quite the, the same attractive investment it was over the past ten years or so. Yeah, that all, that all that all sounds right, and I think like the one thing that comes up is. At least in in the the conversations I have with clients and, and and things like that is like, is this like the U.S. Because in the U.S. we had you know back in 08, 09, we had teaser rates and then those rates reset and then we had a wave of defaults and forced selling. It's just it's just not like that the way our mortgage market is structured. And like you got to keep in mind that when we were borrowing at one and a half percent, we were being stress tested at at around five and a quarter. And it's a good thing we were because we are coming into a, a, a world where we have around 5% mortgage rates. But so from a capacity to pay and to service your mortgage perspective, in theory, we should be very well insulated here. Yeah. So it will, it will obviously, ch- it will chip into disposable purchasing power and will cut back on spending elsewhere, but it's not going to create a wave of defaults. And that's a big distinction that we have to make. Um, where there might be a little bit more risk is if, if this tightening cycle actually weakens the job market as well. And then that's another layer of weakness, but just strictly from from an interest rate perspective, we are actually pretty well insulated. Yep, I think that that's a a, a good point. Um, well, we'll see what the job market does. We'll see how uh, how high rates end up going here because uh, there's there's still plenty of uncertainty there. But uh, we we I mean you you are going to get some probably meaningful pressure on consumption at least into the back half of the year again. Uh, the, those those pandemic era savings uh still being being spent lots of pent-up demand uh summer is is this is the summer of revenge spending be it on travel or dining out or or whatever uh service type spending people want to do it it, it's it's very busy out there the airports are are packed uh the the train stations in europe are packed uh restaurants hard to get a reservation in in any pretty much anywhere really uh and so that that that's probably going to be the theme at least for another month we'll see what happens come labor day and after that when uh when home prices continue to decline rates higher uh, a little bit more of a squeeze on people we'll have another call it anywhere from 50 to 100 basis points at the next meeting in September. Uh, we'll, we'll see what the bank does there, but rates are still moving higher from here. And so that that just means even even more pressure on households. Uh, and, and and I think one one thing that we should also mention is is residential construction and just the housing sector in general is, is 10% of GDP in Canada. And so that is going to be a source of 
persistent downside pressure for growth, uh, at least for the next year, probably 18 months. And you could see some some seriously negative quarters, especially near term as, as home sales have, have really uh, fallen very sharply. And, and I'm, I'm sure uh, renovation type activity is, is not far behind. And uh, for those out there listening that, that, that live in Canada, on the bright side, if you have any home renovation uh, projects that you've been waiting for and, and couldn't get any, any labor or, or trades to do, next year will probably be a pretty good time for that uh, as, as things should, should loosen up materially for, for, for better or worse. So your, your last point on construction is interesting because we've been conditioned to think that we need to build more and more in in this country right but we already we actually are already building as much as we physically can and what we're actually starting to hear now is because demand has broken so quickly that we're starting to see projects actually get canceled in the big cities so you have possibly the pace of construction activity and new housing starts rolling over and softening a little bit i mean it won't be dramatic because we still have demographic demand but coming off of the boil at least then you're gonna have renovation activity for sure pull back just simply because we pulled so much activity forward into the pandemic and you don't have the same kind of investment and flipping activity. And then, of course, like the actual transaction component that goes into GDP as well is, has, has completely fallen off. So that and, and I know it's built into our forecast already, but that's going to be a persistent headwind from from residential investment right through 2023. Yeah, I, I may not have negative enough there. Uh, I think the risks are still on the downside for what, uh, mm-hmm. what we have penciled in. Uh, but you mentioned construction and and um, hasn't the refrain from policymakers and uh, other talking heads been that we just don't have enough houses and there's a lack of supply given given what's going on right now? How do you feel about that? There's there's no better way to balance out a market than throw a recession on it, right? And it's it's it sucks, but uh, we're gonna find out pretty quickly that we are pretty well supplied. I think. I mean, we know that like a quarter of home buyers through the pandemic were buying second and third properties, right? So there's that aspect that demand is gone. It's it's gone already, and hence why you're already starting to see some of these projects get canceled. Uh, and then the other side of it is that like even if we did want to double the rate of construction, which is what policymakers and a lot of talking heads are, are are talking about it, we just physically can't because for the last couple of years we've been building right up at capacity in terms of just the number of units under construction in this country. So number of units under construction is a record high. You adjust for the, you know, for the 25 plus population base, it's, it's as high as it's ever been. We have next to no unemployment in construction. We have record vacancies and, and wage pressure and, and material cost pressures. You just physically can't build anymore. And builders know this and builders see both sides of of the equation and the fact that they are pulling back on on projects right now as we speak um, just highlights that they are seeing demand roll over. I think. Well, so that's so that'll be the next question, I guess. Is is I mean, you're, you're seeing projects get canceled partially because of high cost because you're seeing sales slow. But are are we going to see housing starts really pull back? I mean, uh, pre-pandemic, we were in the kind of low 200,000-ish per year. And, and before that, we were just to sub that for, for most of the past decade. And now we're kind of in the 250-plus thousand uh, area for, for housing starts. Uh, are, are we due to go back down toward 200,000 or, or is the 250-ish uh, pace and then higher uh, units under construction, is that, is that going to persist uh, thanks to strong immigration, still good demographics? Uh, again, or, or are we going to see a pullback there? And then all that supply talk really was uh, not well-founded. 
I, I think we'll see activity pull back. Like it, it starts in construction activity always do follow the demand side with like six to 12 months lag roughly. Right. So I do think we will, we'll see activity pull back to 260 on annual starts is pretty strong. And I, I, I think that's kind of been in response to some excess demand, but there is, there is still demographic strength as we talk about all the time we've been talking about for, for years too, right. Where household formation is actually probably running at a little bit above 200,000 per year. So there is a floor there. And even, I mean, even if we do start to see activity moderate, it's not going to be, it's, you know, it's not going to be something that's an exceptional drag that takes starts back down into the 150, 175 range, right? I think you do have physical support right there at around 200,000. And that's probably where we settle in a little bit above that. I I wonder if we get back down there, whether the, uh, the, the, Narrative of, of lack of supply starts to come back, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see uh, when, when we get there, and then we'll uh, we'll see what the uh, what policymakers and others have to say. Um, why don't Why don't we leave housing there? Um, I since I have you on, and and you are our provincial specialist, I would be neglecting my duties if I didn't ask about the provinces because uh, it's always good for for listeners and, and for myself to uh, get a little bit of an update uh, I, I I mean there haven't been any budgets since last time I guess we, we, we finished budget season since last time you were on but uh, no no major changes I guess has the provincial landscape changed at all are commodity prices still providing a big boost to Alberta Saskatchewan Newfoundland uh, where should investors focus their attention do you have any favorite provinces all of those things go. well no i I wouldn't say too much has changed if anything like we've just seen a uh just a reinforcement of how quickly the resource producing provinces are improving and alberta is is like the poster child of this where uh they actually did come out with public accounts and last year they were already in surplus and this year we're probably I mean, where oil prices are and the dollar and, and the differential are today, there's probably a, a good like $10 billion or more of, of fiscal upside there. And they've been very conservative on their forecast. They've been very quiet about this, but they have a ton of money coming in to spend. And there is an election next spring. So I'm sure they're, they're, they're quietly figuring out what to do with all this money and how to best play this. But from a fiscal perspective remember kind of early mid stages of the pandemic, Alberta looked really bad and they were falling towards the back of the pack in a number of metrics. They are very quickly have moved back to the, to the top of the list in terms of uh, the budget projection and the debt level and debt service costs and the boring requirements and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's, unfortunately that's a pretty well-known story now and it's probably mostly priced in. I mean, you, you follow the spread market pretty closely. Yeah, that's, it's, Spreads are done. Spreads are probably done uh, unless oil prices go back up and then move further up. It, it's hard to see Alberta performing particularly well, and at least not until risk markets start to 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 improve a little bit. But uh, for now, I mean, they they've come under a little bit of pressure recently, and then they've uh, flattened out. I guess uh, that the the days of tightening versus Ontario appear to to have have stalled out. At least for now, we'll see what uh, what commodity prices do. Yeah. Quebec's another one too, that's kind of been flying under the radar because uh, we haven't heard much from them on, on the fiscal front, but I suspect there's going to be a pretty big revenue upgrade coming there too. Like Quebec does publish monthly transaction numbers and those have been 
tracking well above budget expectations too. So when we get an official fiscal update from them, either public accounts last year or like a mid-year update from them later on in the summer, those numbers there are probably going to look quite a bit better. So those, I mean, that's 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 really it. Uh, we we still uh, we, we've been a little bit more bearish on British Columbia. This isn't new. I mean, this has probably been over the last two years or so, just given some of the policy tact that the provincial government there, which is more of a left-leaning, higher-spending government, they've been borrowing a lot more and running bigger deficits, projecting longer strings of deficits. So that story hasn't really changed either. And Ontario looks. I mean, there were Ontario for a long time was carrying quite a bit of room for upside. I think that's starting to fizzle away a little bit now just because we're more bearish on Ontario relative to the rest of the country in terms of like incremental economic growth revisions, just given that the housing uh, downturn is hitting hardest right here in Ontario. So they were coming kind of out of a position where they had a quite a bit of room to work with, but that's probably getting chiseled away a little bit now too. Okay, what what about Manitoba? Because that um, historically, for for a while, they would trade in line, or or at least directionally in line with uh, with Alberta and Saskatchewan. And uh, what's happened over the past kind of year or so, a little longer, is is uh, Alberta's tightened a lot and performed nicely. Saskatchewan as well, and though to a lesser extent, but uh, Manitoba has has lagged notably. Is that a a province where we could find some opportunity because uh they just they they look cheap here uh i think given what i what i believe are 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 decent fiscal fundamentals yeah the fiscal fundamentals are decent economic fundamentals are are solid i would say like relative to alberta and saskatchewan you're never going to get the same performance on the upside because you just don't have the same kind of leverage to something like oil so it it it, it wouldn't make sense for Manitoba to be keeping pace with the with the strength in Alberta and Saskatchewan at this point anyway. Relative to someone like, say, in Ontario, maybe it gets a little bit more compelling because if we are going into a, a weak period for the economy where ground zero of the housing correction is going to be in Ontario, Manitoba is 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 probably very insulated on the housing front. And from an economic perspective, they are always like the lowest beta province in Canada when we go into weak economic periods or if we go into recessions. So in terms of like a defensive trade, if that's the way the market starts going over the next little while, I and mean, we've, we've already we've already seen some of that. But if that's if that's kind of the like the like the, the big picture theme, then Manitoba starts to look pretty OK on a relative basis versus, say, in Ontario or even a B.C. And arguably, if 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 we're going into a recession or something like that, commodity prices probably suffer there as well. So it might right. even look good. Might even look good versus Alberta or somebody, somebody else along those lines. Okay. Uh, and any any other big uh, big themes that they're expecting? When 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 might we get some of these mid year updates? So they they would come in the summer, or are they going to wait till the fall? Kind of like the federal government. Uh, you do get you do get uh, you do get summer updates, but they tend to be pretty light. Full full forecast updates would would usually come in the fall, like uh, in in Q two or for mid year for these guys. So that would typically be October November. But in August, you tend to get pretty decent updates from from provinces like um, Alberta and Saskatchewan. So depending how they want to play, you might actually start to see some of these numbers put on paper from from Alberta uh, within the next month or so. If not for sure, mid year October November, you should get pretty full updates on on the fiscal outlooks okay so i'll have to have you back in november 
and and, and we'll we'll see what uh, what housing's doing by then. If we're down a, a percent a month over the next what's that four months or so, uh, I guess we'll have three months of data by then. So three 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 to four months, we'll be down uh, seven to ten percent for the for nationally. Uh, in, in in seven to ten months, <laughs> and uh, we'll 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 see what the fiscal update brings by then, and how the economy's uh, performing. So, uh, Rob, thanks for coming on. I, I very much appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to having you back on again uh, in a few months. All right, happy to do it anytime. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.